Good evening. Welcome to the weekly Chassidus Shir on uh, our, the Thursday night Chassidus class. I uh, filling in for my father-in-law this week, and I hope that uh, over the course of the time we have together, we'll be able to discover a uh, deeper inner self that uh, will allow us to transform and transcend into the realms of the infinite self. The Maimah that we're going to learn tonight, or at least part of the Maimah that we're going to learn tonight, is the Maimah of Ba'ato Yigdal No Koyach Hashem, which is a pasuk in this week's Parsha. It's in Lakutei Torah, page Lamed Ches, Omud Gimel. This is a pasuk that is describing Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to Hashem after Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he plans on... Uh, wiping out the Jewish people based on their reaction to the Miraglim. So Hashem seems to be very upset and angry at the Jewish people. And Moshe Rabbeinu begins his uh, prayer to uh, save the Jewish people. And the beginnings of the prayer, Moshe Rabbeinu uses the expression va'ato, which loosely translated means, and now, yigdal no koyach Hashem that God's power should be strengthened and great, made greater. Kasher Dibarta, as God himself said, Lamar, etc., et as, 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 as he's about to say, Hashem, Erech HaPayim, the Goimer God, who is the multiple compassion, uh, who has, who has a, a lot of compassion, etc., etc., and he starts listing off some of the 13 principles, 13, some of the 13 attributes of God's Rachmanus, of God's mercy, as we know them as the Yud Gimel Midas HaRachamim, which Chazal teaches that God taught these 13 principles, or 13 Midas, uh, 13 attributes of God's mercy. God taught them to Moshe Rabbeinu at a previous state, and uh, Moshe Rabbeinu at the time was a little bit uh, perplexed as to God's intention of even saving the seemingly non-righteous. And God said, in the future, it will become a point where you're going to need my, uh, my compassion for even the Rishoyim. That's why the word apayim, erech apayim, is in plural. And uh, this is at the time of the miracle, the current time that we're talking in this week's parsha. So this pasuk is an interesting pasuk in itself. It describes... Moshe Rabbeinu sort of giving power to God. In fact, that's the way the Gemara looks at it. But the Altarebbe takes it more from a very, uh, this, uses this Pasuk as a springboard to discuss personal avoida and personal, personal growth. And um, it, uh, it begins with a uh, discussion on what does it mean that the idea of action, especially when it comes to mitzvahs. And this is going to be the major theme of the Mimer, where the Altareb is going to discuss the power of mitzvahs and what does mitzvahs actually do, what's the accomplishment of mitzvahs. And the, the Altareb is going to give us a deep, very deep insight into the power that we really have nowadays, living in the phys this physical world with the challenges and struggles that we have, actually enable us to reach very, very deep, infinite levels, much, much higher, farther, than would, one would imagine or one would think that one could achieve 
even much greater than those of the angels and of those of uh, much more uh, loftier souls up in heaven in Ganeidin, etc. So we're going to learn as much as we could in the next little bit of the Mimer, and we'll try to elaborate a bit. You can follow along. We're going to read, we're going to do it inside, but uh, we're going to try to discuss the points as much as we could um, with some uh, little bit of uh, practicality, the way it relates to us on a very practical level. So the Alpha begins, The Pasuk says that God says that that there's the day of action. Chazal teaches that this Pesach is referring to, Hayoyim refers to this physical world. That in the physical world, this physical world is the time of action. But Amar Razal, the Gemara tells us, The Gemara has a whole discussion in Kiddushin, a back and forth discussion, which one is greater? Is Talmud, the studying of learning, learning Torah, is that greater? Or Mitzvah, is Mitzvah greater? And the Gemara comes to the great to the conclusion that the medrash, the, the studying in itself, is not the main thing, but rather action is the main thing. The Godel HaTalmud should be And the great the greatness of Talmud, even that of Talmud, what's so great about Talmud is only the fact that Talmud learning, learning Gemara, learning Halacha, enables us to be able to reach a level of action. In other words, there's no point in just studying the books if it doesn't actually lead one to action. In uh, Judaism, we don't believe, even though we're known as the nation or the people of the book, we don't believe in mere, just um, academic, you know, achievements of study. In, in us, uh, us as Jews, we, we believe in the, 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 the action as being of most importance, which is something that we can elaborate on itself, the power of action, which uh, hopefully throughout the mind we'll get a little bit of appreciation of that, but just something to pause, a moment of pause, to, to, to a moment of reflection on this idea of being knowledgeable, being in the books, versus implementing the knowledge in something practical, in something real. So we see from all of this so far, what we see is the, the, the emphasis in Judaism on action, on physical action, Maisa HaMitzvah, the action of mitzvahs. Al continues and he quotes the Zoyar that brings this point even stronger. He says, Likewise in the holy Zoyar, The Zoyar speaks in tremendous glowing terms about the greatness of physical action. The mitzvahs inu lehushim. And the Zoyar describes mitzvahs as being garments. And if one misses one mitzvah, it's as if he's missing one garment. Just like, for example, a person walks outside and he's like, oh, I forgot my socks. They're going to go back inside to get their socks. Likewise, a Jewish person has his garments, which are his mitzvahs. And therefore, if we miss one day a mitzvah, davening, a mitzvah for Mayo Pentecost Villain, um, throughout the day we have countless mitzvahs, giving stockers, etc. So then we're missing the garment of the day. In fact, that's why it's brought in uh, the Arizal, the idea of Kilgulim, the concept that, uh, of reincarnation or, or the, re, re, the, the transmigration of souls, how the souls have to come back to fulfill their, the, la- the mitzvahs that they lacked. Because it's as if, like I said, you we're missing those garments, not able to uh, enter into the next world if we don't have those garments. 
like walking outside when it's very cold and not wearing your coat. Or as I said, even wearing perhaps your socks. Maybe if you live in Los Angeles, it's a little bit of a different story. So, as we just mentioned, the Zoya said, I quoted it from the Zoya, the Arizal, the Arizal is the one that elaborated on this. As we know, there's a, there's a book called Sefer Al-Gugulim that's written by the student of the Arizal, but the Arizal, the Zoya says that, that therefore, there, there's an, there, there may come a necessity for a soul to go through a migration. Until it fulfills all the 13 mitzvahs. And then the Zoya says something fascinating that every soul migrates even to become a koyin in one, in one, in one, in one state of a gilgul, they're a koyin, in another state of a gilgul, they're a levi, because there's certain mitzvahs which are coming upon a koyin, which are not. Um, a comment upon all other Jews. Likewise, there's mitzvahs which are strictly related to a levi. So again, we see from all of this that is the necessity of mitzvahs, and we also see the fact that mitzvahs are garments. So says the Alter So what does this all mean? What does this mean? The fact that there's the, the importance, the emphasis of mitzvahs, and what does it mean that mitzvahs function as garments? What is this idea that mitzvahs are garment? What, what's the what's the what's the necessity of them being garments, what's the deeper uh, insight into them being garments. So as the Al-Trebbe um, articulates the question is, So first of all, he's asking, how is it possible, how does the mitzvah create the garment? You know, when you want to make a garment, so you take materials and you create a garment. But here we're saying the mitzvahs create a garment. So what does that mean in spiritual terms? What does it mean that the mitzvah creates a garment? And then, what is the function of this garment? In other words, what's its purpose? What is its function? What is it, gonna, what is it accomplishing? When we, today, in our, in our conscious state, in this physical world, relate to garments, we see it as an, ex, ex, uh, an, uh, an exterior thing, something that we wear outside or even inside, but it's not, it's not essential to our being. So which aspect is the garment necessary? And then thirdly, why does the neshama, why does the soul need a garment? What's the purpose of the soul having to have a garment? In which way does it benefit the soul? So the Altarebbe begins by starting to discuss the obvious question that Hasidus discusses, and the Altarebbe in particular discusses in many, many maimorim of Lakutei Torah. This is a discussion that's brought in... Um, in uh, many places, as I said, in, in, in Chassidus. And that is the question of what's the purpose of the soul coming down into this world? If we think about it, the soul, where does the soul originate from? The soul originates from the highest of levels. It originates tachas kivsiyakavit. It means the soul is in its, in, in, its, in, its, in its pristine state, is in the closest, most revealed state of that godliness that it could be in, seemingly. So what, what would be the benefit in taking that level of the soul and bringing it down into the physical world where seemingly it's, it has to struggle, it's, 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 it has a lot of challenges, it's not easy for the soul to be able to fulfill its obligations in this world, meaning because of the body and the struggles in the world. So why, why, does, why does God make it? What's the, what's the, what's the purpose and having this, this particular struggle of the soul descending down into this physical world. 
just to make a point of the fact that in different places in Hasidus, it highlights and emphasizes different aspects of this question and therefore answers different from a different angle. And there's always the answer of the Yerid Litzer Haliyah, meaning that the descent is really for an ascent, that when we come down, we really go up. In this mimer, the Al-Tarebbe takes it on a little bit of a different angle, as I said, each mimer gives a little bit of a different angle. And from this angle, it's focused not so much on the fact that there's, there's an ascent, but in a sense, it also shows the, the greatness of what is, what is it to be here in the physical world. So sometimes we think, you know, if I need to go get a job, so I'm, I'm not really interested in getting the job. I'm fine being home and, you know, doing my own thing. But I need to get a job because I need to make money in order to support my family, etc. So I'm going to put myself out there and make myself, you know, give myself, uh, you know, take away time for myself in order to be able to, to, to make money. But the making of the money is only something secondary of my main objective, which is to be able to have food on the table and support my family. And at the end of the day, I, I'd rather be home anyway. But then there's a way of looking, which that's sort of one way of describing the Yerid But then there's a way of looking at the going into the, getting the job is in itself the ultimate accomplishment. And it's much greater than you staying at home, me staying at home and doing whatever I want. Just to take this off a little bit on a, on a tangent for a second, you have, let's say, in relationships and marriage, those who have heard me speak in the past have probably heard my discussions about relationships a lot. There is a, a great, a great, um, uh, what will be the right word? There's a great necessity. There's, there's a great, there's a great impetus, a great push when two people come together to forge a relationship which takes each other out of their comfort zone. That's quite obvious. But what, what, what pushes someone to go there? What pushes someone to make that great transition? What pushes someone to make that, that, that decision to be pushed to such a di- in such a direction? To want, it, to want to be part of someone else's life, to want to have, to have to give up on their freedoms, perhaps their comfort zone, whatever it may be. In fact, in, in, in certain areas, certain people, in certain societies, or in certain uh, particular people, this is actually a very, very big struggle. They don't see marriage as important. Maybe it's socially the way to live one's life, it may have benefits, maybe certain people want to have children, maybe certain people want to be able to know that when they get old, they'll have people that take care of them. They have ulterior motives. They have something that they could rationalize to themselves and through that rationalization they'll say okay this is why i'm getting married this is the purpose of my marriage in other words they don't see marriage as purpose as having a purpose in itself they they see the benefits you know the fringe benefits the 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 the, the, the ulterior motives that come as a result of marriage but then the result result will be that you'll only be given in halfway or three quarters of the way into the marriage, because at the end of the day, you're not interested in the relationship per se, you're interested in the things you get out of it. And furthermore, as long as you're getting out of it what you want, good, if you're not, you're out of it. That could, if that's the attitude, that a lot of times creates the struggle in a relationship, because you're not getting what you wanted to get from it. You weren't really committed to the relationship in itself, you're committed to the fringe benefits of the relationship. 
or you're not really interested in working hard enough in order to get to a point where you actually could appreciate the relationship or whatever it may be. So that would be one angle of looking, you're willing to give up, you're willing to, 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 to give up on a, a certain life of freedom and, and, and perhaps maybe men are more into this realm, you know, of, of, of feeling a sense of being, being able to, to, to do whatever you want, to have to now be limited to a certain time and space and a certain, you know, being brought down. Being, being, being limited. But there is logical or even emotional reasons that, 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 that create the impetus, the drive, the passion to, to go that, down that route. But again, it's, it's all based on some sort of intellectual, emotional, some sort of something you concocted in your mind that made you feel it's worth it. But you're not really fully in it. So therefore, the marriage in itself is no real benefit to you. But then there's someone who gets married or sees marriage, the relationship, not necessarily at first, I'm not saying people jump into this, come to this conclusion automatically at first, but even if it doesn't start off that way, they could begin to appreciate how the marriage, the relationship itself is of the ultimate purpose. In other words, they see being in this relationship as a sense of fulfillment of themselves and where they could reach the highest of levels, where they get out of themselves, where they completely break free from who they are. And, and they can become included into something greater than, 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 than themselves. Something, or I don't know if it's greater than themselves, or something way beyond what they thought they could accomplish on their own. And that state of relationship, not only are you fully in it, but it's nothing to do with what you get out of it, per se, because what you're getting out of it is the fact that you're in it itself. And that is sort of what the Alter Rebbe is going to go on to describe in this mimer, that our purpose here in this world is getting into the relationship with God on a very deep level where we're thrown in completely and the ultimate of what we get from it is a surge of a deeper connection to God himself. In other words, it's not that we get from therefore, you know, God blesses us with all the blessings that God says, if you fulfill my mitzvahs, you're going to get this blessing and that and all that, which is true also. It's not about the fringe benefits. It's about the relationship in itself. And only through giving myself over into the relationship entirely do I, does that open up the channel for there to be a flow of the connection on the other end, meaning from God's end, to sweep me up and incorporate me into his greatness, into his, into his infinite self, and therefore I become infinite. That's the basic theme of this mimer. Again, with obviously within the words of Hasidus, as we'll see, and with some roads. The Altarab always takes certain paths to get us to this point for us to appreciate this idea on a much, much broader level as well. So let us begin. The Altarab says, Hine noida. It is known. Shiyiridas haneshoma boilam hazeh That the purpose of the soul into this world. The ultimate purpose is for the soul coming down to this world is for there to be an elevation. That's the only logical answer. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Why? So explains Amida. The soul before it came into this world was in a state of Amida. What does it mean, Amida? Amida means literally standing, standing still. As the Pasuk says, which we read in last week's Haftar, Chai Hashem Asher Amadati Lefanov. 
by the living God, which I stood in front of him. The neshama, before the neshama comes into this world, the neshama is in a state of standing in front of God. What does it mean he's standing in a state of God? He, he, he literally is, is focused within a certain, a certain um, understanding of God, a certain, a certain uh, character of, through which he, he serves God. He's in, a, he's, in, he's in a fixed space. He's in a place of, 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 of being present in front of God as a, as a single, non-movable, so to speak, type of, type of uh, um, soul. And then the Pulsar continues, But God says, I'll give you, I'll give the soul, That the soul could then go on, become a mahalach, could become someone who walks, literally, someone who starts walking. Someone who starts moving, someone who's not stuck in one place, who's not stagnant, but someone who is in a state of movement. So what does this all mean? So says the Alter Rebbe, like they came hamitzvus bolam hazeh nasalat uchinas halicha of an asati lecham halchem. He says through kim hamitzvus, through doing mitzvus in this physical world, it changes the soul from being a stagnant sort of way of seeing God to a walking, changing, um, climbing state of relationship to God. So let's just discuss these points for a moment as we'll see the Alter will explain it a little bit more. Let's just discuss this idea between an Oymden versus Mahalchum. Oymden means, as we'll see, means that, let's say for example, you have certain, you know, people who focus on personality types. So you have certain personalities who, you know, identify themselves as being X. And because they identify themselves as being X, so that's who they think they are. That's, that's, that's the way they live their life. They live their life according to whatever the book says X should be. Whether they read a book or not, it's not the point. The point is that this is their, this is their, their, their identity for themselves. This is the way they are. And a lot of times, whether it's nurtured or nature, people keep within that realm. Logically, rationally, a person lives a world based on their way they, they relate to who they think they are or what people tell them who they are, and that's how they react, that's how they live their life. In other words, even if the person maximizes that personality or that capability, let's say they're, they're, they're intellectual people. So they're intellectual, so they maximize their abilities of intellectualism. But they don't change. They don't become something else. They don't evolve. They remain the same. They're the, they remain in the same state. They're always in the same state of existing, which means that they're always going to be the intellectual. They don't become the emotional. They don't become the intuitive. They don't become the super, you know, natural type of people, the super rational type of people. They stay within their box. They could reach high levels within that box, but they're still within that box. That's Oymdu. Then you have Mahalfa. Mahalfa means a constant state of change. There's a constant state of change, meaning that there is an evolution that takes place. It's not the person who was today is no more the person that's tomorrow. And tomorrow, the next day. There's constantly a difference. There's integration of many different aspects. It's not just climbing the rungs of intellectualism, but through climbing the rungs of intellectualism, you jump to the next ladder completely, which may be the realms of intuition and emotions and 
super rational being and so on and so forth. That's the difference between Oymdom and Mahalcha. I remember years ago, I was at a uh, college, um, the University of Michigan. I was uh, the shliach over there. I was, uh, I was the, for Shabbos, I was the, the, the resident uh, scholar, whatever. And uh, one of the members of the community was a, a, psycho, a, psycho, a psych, psychology professor. And he's been doing research on different things. And we got, we got, we got to speaking over Shabbos. He unfortunately uh, passed away a few months later. Um, a very bright man. I was much younger then, younger and not as intelligent, or maybe I shouldn't say not as intelligent, I would say maybe uh, a lot less knowledgeable. And uh, we were discussing different factors and chsidus and whatever, comparing it to psychology. And one of the things we came up with was a discussion about personalities, whether a person has a fixed personality or a person's personality is constantly evolving. So we had this, this discussion, and we took it back and forth. We spoke about the different levels of Chassidus talks about it, and, and, and from psychology, whatever. And one thing that struck on my mind, he said something very, 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 with a lot of, you know, he was very, very confident about what he said. He said, there is no such a thing as a stagnant personality. A human being constantly changes, and therefore the personality changes. That is the idea that's being expressed here in Dr. Rebbe that the personality is constantly changing. Not the personality as in psychological terms, but the state of being, even deeper than the personality. The personality is an exterior. We're talking about the real deep essence of a person is in a constant state of motion, which means it's in a constant state of change. And that is something which could only be accomplished in this physical world as a human being. The souls that they are, that are in Ghanaian, the soul before it comes into this world, the angels that are, are, that are, that are in the higher realms remain stagnant. They don't, yet, they don't evolve, they don't change. They don't, they don't become anything beyond them, who they, who they are. They, they don't become something different. They don't have the ability to, to get out of themselves. They're in a box and they remain in the box. Versus human beings, Jewish people, in this physical world have the ability to not only change, not only to grow and change and evolve, but as we'll see, have the ability to completely get out of the box of limitation completely and become completely infinite. In other words, we have within us this ability, we have this infinite power, but just the thought of it sounds quite crazy. And let, let alone trying to live a world, live a life, or live with a, with a, uh, a motif, or a, with an idea in the mind, that this is my objective in life, which is to reach, you know, infinity. But this is precisely the advantage and the purpose of why the soul comes into this world, is to reach, to create, or to break the, the, the box that the soul has been living until now, and to become a totally different person, reach and strive as the expression goes, reach beyond the stars, to reach the levels that are way beyond the limitations of the physical, and for that matter, even the soul's level, breaking all barriers, even the barriers of the soul. So says the Rebbe, We know that we say in Shema, we say that we have to love God, our love of God has to be with all our heart, 
with all our soul and with all our might. The Gemara in Brachas describes each one what they refer to. Bechalavacha refers to Bishnei Yitzharecha, that we have to serve God both with our Yitzhar Toiv and our Yitzharah. Bechal Nafshecha means Afilu Noitulos Nafshecha, even if He causes, under certain circumstances, for us to give up our life for God. And Bechal Maidecha means with all our money. And the Gemara that discusses, one second, if you're willing to give up your life for God, for sure you're willing to give up your money. And the Gemara says, no, there's certain people that their money means more to them than their life. Okay? We're not going to get into the Gemara because that's not the purpose of this, uh, what the Maimah here is saying. The Atarebbe's definition of Bechol Nafshecha, he says, is the level of serving God with your whole natural soul. In other words, what, your, what, the, what the soul is, is, is uh, limited to. Your, your state of limitation. Nafshecha means your soul. We know what a soul is. A soul is an animating force. It gives a certain ability to function emotionally, intellectually, etc. But those are, those are limited, those are limited aspects or soul powers that a person possesses. So when a person utilizes all his, his soul, meaning all of his natural resources, all his power, all his natural power, so then he becomes complete in that, that he's using his, his soul entirely. That's Bechol Nafshecho, with all your soul. Because love and fear of God is very limited based on the amount of intellectual comprehension you have of God and based on one's connection and feeling close to God. In other words, in order to really love God, you have to think about God. You have to know God. You can't love something or know some or, or, or feel connected to something if you don't know what that thing is. In order to feel connected to God, you have to think and know God on some level. There has to be some knowledge there that you're getting in tune with. If you don't have that knowledge, you're not connected. So what does that mean? That means there's a certain objective intellectual process called his bonus, which allows me to meditate on God. I read the books of Hasidus and the books of Kabbalah, the books of the Zohar, and I become aware of, of God. And from that awareness... I channel, or, or it channels within me a certain feeling of emotional attachment, and the emotional attachments usually brings a state of hero, which is a state of, of respect or awe, or a sense of not wanting to disconnect, however we describe hero as being, but they're all stemming from a very limited comprehension that we have of God, and through this limited comprehension, we therefore... Um, um, our, 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 our connection to God is all based on this, this, this comprehension. That means our love and our fear, which is the emotional attachment that we have to God, will all be based on this intellectual ability that we have, and will able, if we're really knowledgeable of God on a deep level, let's say holy tzaddikim, or people that are, are capable of really penetrating and, 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 and understanding a deeper revelation of who God is, Perhaps the channel is a deeper feeling of love, a deeper feeling of, of fear, which the person utilizes within him or, or, or expresses through keeping God's mitzvahs. So that's the level of Bechol Nafshecha, that if a person utilizes all his intellectual capabilities, and therefore channels all his emotional capabilities to be able to serve God, he's maximized his, his potential, he's maximized his abilities to be able to serve God. So that's the level of Amida. Amida means maximizing your natural state, your natural ability, your, 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 your maximizing what you have 
within this limited self of nafshecha, v'ha'inyin. So why is this concept called amida? We know that the angels are called oimdim. Why do we know that? There's a posuk says srofim oimdim. It says that the srofim, which are a certain form of angels, they're oimdim. So from there we derive this concept that the angels are called oimdim. Now why are they called oimdim? Because they remain stagnant. They remain in a single mode. The whole, their whole existence. Michol the camp of Michol, the angel of Michol, who represents a certain camp of service of God, which they serve God in a state of Ava, of fear, of love. And then you have the camp, you have the group of angels, which is led or represented by Gabriel, which serve God in a state of fear. But they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't combine both. They don't integrate both love and fear. They remain either those who are in a state of love or those in a state of fear. Getting back to our analogy of personalities, you have, again, certain people who are, you know, primarily very intense people. And, and the way they relate to others or the way they relate to themselves is in a certain set of intense being and everything is very serious and, 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 and with, a, with a, a sense of gvura, which usually leads them to a sense of hira. And that's, that's pri- predominantly their personality. And then you have those people that are more easygoing, you know, more 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 free and open. And they they, they they're usually more the the, the the chesed types of people, the ava types of people. It's it's there is that distinction we know in personalities. So in service of God, you have the camp of Machol, which represents the the ones who feel God in an emotional sense from a state of love. They feel a certain connection. And then you have the angels from the camp of Gabriel. Gabriel comes from the word Gevura, which feel a sense of God from a state of, of Yira, a state of distance, a state of awesomeness. Without getting into this distinction between love and fear and how it relates in these two different forms of Avoida, which would take a whole hour and a half in itself. But that's the general idea. So, so the angels are aimed because they remain stagnant in this form. They remain strictly either Ava type or Yira type. They don't integrate both together. Their love and fear is all generated based on how much comprehension they have. So if their if their personality, let's say, is Ava, so what would fuel, how much love are they going to feel to God? It's based on how much they understand of God, based on their understanding of God. Likewise, those of fear, depending on how much knowledge and understanding they have of God, that will generate a certain fear. Just quickly, to use an example, let's say you love your parents. A person loves their parents. So there's a natural, innate love that one has to their parents. But as a person gets older and starts, or even during a process throughout a person's life, and they think about their parents, there's moments where we think about our parents and we start thinking about what our parents have done for us and how much love they've shown us, etc., etc. That stimulates within us a corresponding sense of love. And the more we think about it, the more we comprehend what our parents have done for us, the more we begin to appreciate and, and feel the love. Likewise, from another perspective, let's say year, a year will be, let's say, a certain set of awesomeness, a certain set of, of, of fear, respect of, 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 of someone. So let's say, for example, being in, in the presence of the Rebbe will create a certain sense of fear, a certain sense of awe. That is, depending on how much you understand of what a Rebbe is, of who the Rebbe is. 
based on that understanding you have that will generate a certain deeper feeling of this year of the sphere simple people who don't know much not not that they they don't have the ability to fear or love but it's it's it's, it's like a child a child fears things on a very superficial level they don't understand what they're afraid of likewise a child loves things on a very superficial level they don't appreciate why they love things as they grow older and they start having more intellect and they begin to think about things there and then they can create real attachments to things you have teenagers that feel like they're in love it's very hard to tell a teenager that they're not in love because they really think they're in love but we have to explain to them sometimes is that they have an immature love because they don't have enough intelligence to appreciate what it means to really be in love what does it really mean to love someone and for that matter what does it mean to really be in fear or in awe from someone that comes from a certain state of intelligence. So it's all based on the Now where from where do they do they gather? From where do they get their knowledge of God? So we know that God's infinite light, which is what's revealed outwardly from God, meaning that which was being expressed. From the essence of God, this is the state of God's revelation is called God's infinite light. Light represents revelation. So in God's state of revelation, there's primarily two modes. There's memala kalam and there's soidif kalam. What is the basic difference between the two without elaborating? Memala kalam refers to that element or energy of God, the way God expresses his energy in a very narrow, so to speak, limited form how it could be handled and how it could be comprehended by specific individual creations. It's sort of like when you begin to know someone. So because you don't really know them and you don't really have such a deep connection with them, so the maximum you can really relate to them is whatever they give you, whatever they show themselves, whatever they express. And even then it's usually calculated, it's usually, you know, they're not going to just open up to you on a full level. They're going to give you based on what they think they, you know, you're 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 capable of appreciating of them. Now they're not going to open up to you about their deep, you know, secrets of life. Or perhaps a better analogy would be a student-teacher relationship. A teacher has to be able to perceive the student's abilities and see where the student is holding. And the teacher will then give the information, teach the information to the student based on the student's abilities, based on what he estimates the student's abilities are and capabilities are, to be able to grasp this information. You have a teacher that is way beyond the student's abilities of comprehension, then the student and teacher will have no relationship, there'll be no connection, there'll be no, the, the information will be, will be just be saying out of the mouth of this teacher without the student being able to comprehend anything. So that's sort of mamalapalam, which is this realm of connection to the levels of godliness which permeate within a physical existence or even within a spiritual existence. There's a certain permeate, or permanent, per, per, a certain element of God's life permeating within the specific elements of existence. This state of the Malakalaman is what the angels perceive and are aware of. And that's where they glean their knowledge of God. That's where they get their knowledge of God. That's where they begin to meditate on. And they begin to comprehend of God. And the more they be able to appreciate, the deeper develops their love, as we said before, or their fear, based on this knowledge. 
But then there's a whole other section of God, which is not a limited form of God's light, God's revelation. It's the Seyd of Kalalmin. Seyd of Kalalmin is sometimes described as an Urhamakif. It's an a, 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 a overwhelming energy. It's usually known as the energy of, of creation. It's the ability to actually stay at a distance where there is no penetrating energy. There's no energy that is being actually ex expressed in a very specific way. Um, we mentioned the example of a student and a teacher. So a lot of times, or the best way perhaps that a teacher should, should give off to the student is a combination. If you want to develop the student, so it's not enough just to tailor the information and explain the information to the student on the level that the student can understand it, because what happens is the student remains stagnant. The student remains where he is. The student doesn't move anywhere. The student becomes whatever information he can handle, and that's it. He doesn't grow. His brain capacity, his intellectual capacity, his capacity for understanding doesn't change, doesn't grow. So a good teacher, a good educator, creates a combination of where he gives enough information that the student feels like he's getting something. But with that, there's also an element of information that seems that the student senses is beyond his grasp. In other words, the student realizes that there's a lot more to this. You know, I tell my students, you know, that you can learn, let's say, Gemara, Chassidus, whatever you're learning, and you feel like you really understand it. And therefore, you think like you, you got the whole picture, and that's it. You don't have to think about it anymore. Sometimes you learn a particular, you know, topic, wherever it may be, and you feel like it's written so smoothly, so easily. So that's it. There's nothing more to know. There's nothing more to comprehend. And, 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 and if that would be the case, the student won't feel the need to understand more and, 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 and relate to it on a deeper level and try to, to try to go out of themselves and break themselves and reach higher levels of knowledge and understanding. There's nothing pushing them. But then if there's, let's say, when the, when the student is reading or any person is reading information, trying to learn something, and then they, there's part of the information that they feel is above them. There's more to it. They sense that there's something greater here. So that itself, hopefully, pushes the student to want to understand that which is even greater. They sense something more. They sense there's something deeper here. Sometimes you're learning something and you're like, there's something deeper here. I know there's something deeper here. I'm not catching it yet. I'm not grasping it, but there's something deeper. And that itself, that itself, um, develops, refines the students, sharpens the students, and refines the students' capabilities to be able to reach something much higher. So taking this difference between Mamala and Soyvev, the angels, their comprehension of God is the Mamala. Everything is tailored, everything is only to what they could understand, everything is based on their comprehension. That's, that's the maximum that they have. That's the greatest level of intellectual comprehension that they have. There is elements of them sensing that there's something greater, that there is a concept of soyviv, but there's no comprehension there, and they don't have the means to get out of their, their stagnant state, as we said, their amida state, to be able to, to reach that plate, the state of soyviv kolama. The major difference between mamala and soyviv is mamala is finite, it's limited, it's constructed, it's, it's very, very, very defined, very specific. Versus soyviv is that sense of infinity. It's something which is, which is not limited. It doesn't have any definition necessarily. And there's levels in soyviv also. That means, let's say, when you're teaching something to a student, the student senses 
something as being beyond their grasp. So for the student, that's already something infinite. What they understand is finite. What they don't understand is infinite. The teacher, for the teacher, he understands it, so it's not infinite for him. And as the student grows greater and knows more, he becomes to appreciate even that which he thought was infinite, that that becomes finite. And then as he, then he studies more, he realizes there's more things he doesn't understand, so that's the infinite, and then he learns that and gets knowledge, and that becomes finite, and so on and so forth. But that means there's constant levels of growth. You're constantly climbing higher and higher and higher in this state of, of, of slavery, in the state of, this, of infinity. Angels don't have that capacity. Angels don't have this ability to be able to be in tune with higher levels. They're only in tune with the Mamalu Kalam. On the levels, the levels of filling the world based on their individual specific levels. That's what they can relate to. The Kahi Mailas Hanishamas Kaidim Boyan Boyum Hazan says the Al Rebbe, this is exactly the way the state of the soul was or is before it comes into this world. The soul, likewise, like the angels, they're stagnant. They only have their limited capacity of relating to God from a state of Mamalakalam. They can only deal with the finite levels of God. The levels that are the mere expressions on a very tailored, limited level. True, the benefit is that you comprehend it. That means you feel like you know it, you understand it, it's something that you can connect to. And that actually stimulates a very great connection to something because when you understand it, you feel more connected to it. But you never get out of that box. It remains limited to that mamala state. So the advantage is you understand it and therefore feel very connected. The disadvantage is you can't get any further. The Lakach says that the Vierfrahim Bechinas Amida, they're in a state of Amida, Shoimedis Tamid Kalayom and Madrigachas. They remain permanently standing in this one state. Kifi Erch, Madrigosat, Chonosat, Choloevun, Fimashabu, based on their level and based on their personality, based on their essence, each one on the, each level, based on who it is. Kach, Mikabu, Bechinas, Mamal Kalam, Fierch, Chonosat. Mamal Kalam breaks itself up, so to speak, into each particular level, into each particular creation based on their level. So therefore, each one based on wherever, whatever standing they have, depending on which world they are, Berea, Yitzira, Asira, Asiya, depending on which level they're in, and depending on their standing of their inner abilities, I tell my students that when you're going to learn, you're going to realize that what's important in learning is two things. Your intellectual capacity, but besides your intellectual, it's not just about your intellectual capacity. There's also the element of your natural state of what you're capable of, which Chassidus always refers to as madrigosa, your state of being. There's certain people that no matter how, how much they try, they'll never reach the levels of knowledge or understanding as some of the great geniuses. It doesn't mean they're, 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 any, they're any worse. It just means that they're just, that's what God wants from them. So likewise, in the souls and the angels, they're stuck in that state. Versus this physical world, this world of action. Man has the capacity, the capacity to be able to change from, from a nature of bad to a nature of good. That means a person is not stuck. There's no excuses to say, this is who I am. That's something that a lot of times we struggle with. We identify certain natural 
negative traits. And therefore we resign ourselves to that. We say, okay, this is who I am, that's it. I'm not going to change. And we live our whole lives with that attitude. This is me. You go to the psychologist, the psychologist gives you a full profile and says, okay, you know, you struggle with this, this, and this. Okay, so this is who you are. That's it. Says the Alter Rebbe, that's wrong. Because that is the soul, the way the soul may be in the world of Ganeidin, the way the soul is in the higher worlds, where what it is, it remains. Versus the soul, the way it comes down here, has the, uh, has the ability to change from one extreme to the next. It has the ability to transform itself. And as we'll see, to transform and to transcend. To transform his heart from one end to the other, and transform darkness into light. Now, why is it that this physical world has this ability? What's unique about this physical world? So it says that the Alter is something quite counterintuitive. He says, Because in this physical world, is, as we explained before, is a very limited form. So take, for example, the teacher to the students. So let's say the teacher is teaching a big class of 10 students. I don't know if that's a big class, but 10 students. Each one has their own level of comprehension. So the teacher is going to start speaking, and the teacher has to realize that not every student is able to understand the information the same way. So he may first discuss it on its higher level, and those students that can comprehend it from that level will understand it and go. And then he'll repeat the information for the students that need a little bit of a lesser level of intensity, a lever, a, a, a more of a dumbing down, so to speak, version of that information. And that helps them to comprehend it, etc., etc. And as you keep on going down the levels, eventually the information sort of becomes totally watered down to almost nothing. That's what sort of happens with the Mamalakalam. The energy of Mamalakalam, as it comes down from one level to the next, and as it has to relate to each world and to each creation on each world on a different level, so then as it gets all the way down into the physical world, at that point already it doesn't even shine, it doesn't even express itself. It's almost like there's nothing relatable anymore. Because that element of life, a light, has been become darkened by the fact that it's 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 the physical world can't comprehend any of this. Even the simplest levels, the most dumbed-down version, so to speak, of godliness and Malakalaman is not capable of being expressed in this physical world. Says thou to Rebbe, so therefore, don't think we're therefore lost. On the contrary, as a result, Says the Alter, but therefore what we're primarily in tune with is the higher level of Ur, the higher level of energy, the infinite energy. Because what's the uniqueness about the infinite over the finite? Is that the infinite, it doesn't, it doesn't, it crosses all levels. It doesn't have any, doesn't have to tailor itself to a specific level of comprehension. Because there is no comprehension to begin with. So there's nothing to comprehend because it's beyond comprehension. So there's no difference the way it's in the highest worlds of Berea, and in the highest levels of angels in Berea and souls to the way it is on the physical level in the physical world. And this level, in the physical world, it's as much Seviv as it is in the highest worlds. Because Seviv transcends all levels, because it itself is not tailored to any level. And because of that, as the soul emerges down into this world, it becomes more aware of the Seviv than the Mamala. Because till now, it was busy trying to comprehend God. So when you try to comprehend God, you're stuck in the levels of comprehension. 
But once you come into this physical world, then you realize there is no comprehension of God, because this physical world does not allow for comprehension of God. We're not in tune with God on a comprehension, on, from, a comprehensive, from a comprehensible place, standpoint. Our relationship to God is purely infinite. We only can relate to those things which, in other words, when we get in tune with our knowledge, the knowledge of God, it doesn't stimulate a real recognition of God in that sense. There's a lot to talk about this itself because there is many places in Chassidus where it explains that a person is supposed to meditate on Mamalakalam, and from Mamalakalam they reach a recognition of Soyd. So we're not going to get into exactly how this fits into the greater picture of Chassidus, but just to understand that when, because in this physical world, Mamalakalam, so to speak, dies off in the sense that we cannot experience any real comprehension of that tailored level of godliness, the way it would relate to us on a very personal level, the way we could sense that. Ah, I got this. I understand God. I can relate to something about God. That's not capable for us. However much chassidus we learn, it's not something that really penetrates deeper into our consciousness that we actually feel that we actually know what God is. We're still stuck in the physical world and we still challenge and question and doubt and not sure. And not... The only thing we're not unsure about is the level of chassidus. The level of, compre... the level of godliness which is completely beyond comprehension. The state of our emunah the state of our infinite side, that side which is completely connected to something way beyond intellectual intellect and comprehension. I know for myself, I know there's my side that is very logical and tries to understand everything, but when it comes to God and Hasidus and all that, there's like a certain giving up on trying to understand. Not that we don't understand, I mean, we're giving a shear now, we're talking Hasidus, we're trying to understand it, but even with that, there's like a certain, the comprehension is, 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 is more in the words than the experience of the idea. And we don't really have that ability to experience the idea. And that's where we lack in comprehension. Because to truly comprehend, you have to be able to experience. You can't experience what you're understanding. That means you're not really in tune with it. They say about Einstein, that Einstein, he said about himself, it's not so much that he's smart as he thinks longer on the questions. He was known to, into, to, to dream. His dreaming was his experience, his world of intuition and experience. And in that world, things become a lot more comprehensible. But you're, again, you're limited to the world of comprehension and experience. But then there's something that completely goes out of that experience, something completely removed, something you sense beyond your experience, something you sense beyond your comprehension. And that is what we have. That's the benefit that we have in this world. And how is this triggered? This is all triggered through as it says, the fact that we have the level of anoichi, God's level of anoichi, because God gave us the ability to, to fulfill mitzvahs, and within that, in the mitzvahs, we have this infinite element of God, therefore we could connect to Seyed Kalam. In the spiritual worlds, they don't have the ability to do physical mitzvahs, so they have no attachment to the Seyed Kalam, to the infinite elements of God. We in the physical world who don't really have any comprehension of God, but yet we have the mitzvahs, and because we have the mitzvahs, because the mitzvahs, why do we have the mitzvahs? Because the mitzvahs could only be performed in a physical world. Hayyim action. It has to be done in a physical way. God wants it to be done with a physical, a physical item. And therefore, in that physical action, with that physical item, we actually get in tune with something which is completely beyond the level of comprehension, and that is Seyyidu. We're in tune now with levels of God of Seyyidu, and it actually transforms us. It allows us to transform ourselves, as we see. As people get involved more in Judaism and people connect more, 
they feel a transformation that's way beyond anything that they could have imagined in their whole life. Even with the greatest comprehension and intellectualism that they had, maybe in the past, about other ideas about the world and God, nothing was able to transform them as by action, by getting involved in the physical action. It's like in a relationship, as we said before. Being in a relationship, you could just be there, so to speak, from the emotional point, intellectual point, or you could be there from the action point as well, where you're actually doing, you're giving, you're actually actively involved in the relationship. And that element of action, there's no comprehension. There may be feeling, but even the feeling is not necessarily the main aspect. It's the action in itself, and that action transcends everything. And says the Rabbi, this power of the infinite, the Urhamakif has the ability to change the nature of man, and his nature, his essence. It transforms the person to be able to comprehend or able to relate or to attach itself to levels that it before never had the ability to do. As the soul was in Ganeid and as the soul was in the higher realms, it was never able to connect to God on a level of infinite, infinity. And therefore, when it comes into this physical world, it has the power to transcend the limitations of only attaching itself to the finite element of God, of godliness, and to be able to reach and attach itself to the infinite level of godliness. This is this level that we're talking about of transcendence, this ability to be able to change and therefore transcend is called halicha. That means walking. That means moving. That means constantly climbing. It's the only way, though, to reach this level is when you're actively involved in terms. It doesn't happen by just sitting at home and meditating. Because as we said, meditation is intellectual experience. That doesn't work with transcendence into the infinity. It's only when you're involved in the physical action of Torah and because, as the Maimon goes on to say, within Torah you have this element of Sayyid Qalalman, you're attaching yourself, therefore, to this infinite power, and therefore, you actually have infinity infused within you. And as the al says, this is the explanation of the Apostle in the Parshas B'chukhoise, it says, this is, if you walk in my statutes, in my Sha'ideh, you begin to walk when you follow this, the commandments of God. This is the level of B'chol Me'idech. As we said before, we're supposed to love God. B'chol is using out your natural gifted capacity. That's very, very limited. That's like the souls in Gan Eden. means where you transcend yourself. Mo'idecha means the thing that's mo'id, that's great, that's way beyond. You can't even describe it. It's something way beyond you. So the only place you can actually realize this ability of loving God, B'chol is only here in this physical world. Now, where does this love come from? How do we stimulate such a powerful love of B'chol A love of a feeling of something that's completely not comprehensible at all. We explain till now, but the only way you really connect is when it's intellectual, when it makes sense to you. It's something you connect to intellect, something you gravitate to because you intellectually understand and comprehend what you're doing. So, how do you have that you could have a love from something that doesn't make any, that doesn't, that you can't relate to, that's not comprehensible, that's infinite? 
says the author that this comes through the Hizbon and Uzbur and so forth. He says that is through the meditation one goes through when he, they say the first two blessings before Shema. So we say Shema in the morning, we say two blessings. Those two blessings, Zalqarebbe goes on to explain, those two blessings have within it the ability to trigger within us the awareness of Sayyid Kalam. Not intellectually, not necessarily we comprehend it, but it allows us to become aware of it, perhaps intuitively. Our soul is naturally connected to the essence of God, and therefore we could connect to Sayyid Kalam. But that's the that's where we, we, be, we begin. His bonanusi doesn't mean necessarily intellectual comprehension or, or, or meditation. It means meditation that is a trans, transcendent meditation. The meditation of the first two blessings of Krishna transcends, allows us to transcend what we know to be true. The physical world, the realities of life, the way we see them and perceive them. When we think and meditate within what it says in the first two blessings of Krishna, as Altreva goes on to explain, the fact that God creates the world from a state of nothingness into a state of existence, versus cause and effect, and how this world is all but God's actions, and we realize how removed we are from God in that sense, and we begin to get in tune with the fact that we're connected to God's mouthfuls, and so on and so forth, through all of that meditation, which is again a transcendent meditation, it's a realization of how you're so to get out of yourself, not an intellectual meditation, a transcendent meditation. And through that meditation, you become aware of these levels of something which is kodesh, holy, removed, distant. And through that, we be able to then connect very deep to this concept. And when we connect to this level, we therefore bring down this level within us through doing mitzvahs. I initially said that I'm not going to have too much time tonight. I know usually... Um, the shear goes on for a full few hours as, uh, as to finish the mimer, but um, I'm a little bit limited for time. Um, so just, I'll just finish off with, um, just to give a little bit more of this, the essence of the mimer outside, just for a moment, to, and, and, and I guess we'll leave it with that, and we'll see if we'll ever get back to this. At another point, Dr. explains that the way to reach this infinite is through mitzvahs. And through the meditation that takes place, the transcendent meditation which takes place through the two blessings of Shema. The Altarebbe says, when you get to doing mitzvahs, the first ingredient that's necessary and crucial to be able to tap into the infinite is when you do mitzvahs purely because this is what God wants. As we said before about being in a relationship, if it's about you doing it because you want to get something from it, as, as the Altarebbe will describe later, as a segula, as a refua, some sort of health benefit, some sort of, like he says, someone doing business to make money. If you do it for any ulterior motives, then you're not going to get into the slave of because it's a contradiction. You're thinking intellectually, or you're driven emotionally to something. That means you're not really connecting to the essence of the thing, to the infinite. You're still connected to the finite. So the only way to really get connected to the infinite is when you're given in on a level of Kabbalah soil. You recognize that your existence is purely there to serve God. And therefore, when you do the mitzvah, the excitement of doing the mitzvah doesn't come from a sense of, wow, I'm going to get something great now, but rather, wow, I have an opportunity to do God's will. And when a person connects on that level and really is completely given in, as we said before, in a relationship, completely thrown into a relationship, that itself 
brings about the connection to this level of infinity, being connected on an infinite level. It's like true, true, you know, husband and wife in a relationship. There comes a point where their relationship is not about anymore about the day-to-day physical things. They're living in, a, in, 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 in something that's above them both. It's something that, that encompasses, encompasses both of them. And especially when talking about God, which our relationship to God on a finite level is God is finite and infinite. God is beyond everything. But, but comparatively speaking, when we're trying to break out of ourselves, we need to get to the infinite. And that is where we start off with this complete diving in to Kabbalah soil. A lot of people question, how do I feel that I want to dive into something that I don't know about? That's the kind. That's the part. The the the, the, the kind of cognitive dissonance, perhaps, the struggle. I don't feel connected to God because I don't understand God. So what am I jumping into? That's where you need the transcend. That's where you need the, the trans, the transcendental. I guess you would say maybe, the uh, a meditation. The transformative meditation of the blessings of Krishna. When you go through that process, that that triggers within you a sense. That there's something here that I need to connect to. And then when after you dive and you do mitzvahs and you feel this need to be connected to God, you feel this connection and you feel very connected, close. And through that, you feel very much um, in, in, in completely incorporated in this level. So we're going to leave it with this. I hope that there was at least some appreciation of the general elements of the mimer. There's obviously a lot more to discuss here and there's a lot more to... Uh, to, uh, to internalize and, and all that. But I think that what we discussed over the past hour has, has a lot in itself, has a lot to think about, has a lot to help us in. And uh, I would like to wish everybody a good Shabbos, a blessed week, a week of only blessings. We should be zeichah that this week is Parsha Shlach. So we were, that's when we actually began discussing about going into Israel. Perhaps maybe it didn't start off in a positive way, but at the end of the day, God then reassures us that we're going to go into Israel, and he tells us therefore about bringing the karbonis and all that, so we should be blessed with this parsha of feeling connected and wanting to be connected on the ultimate level, which is with Mashiach, maybe sweetly, now in our days. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and be blessed.